Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglives.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Patricia Rodriguez will join us tonight, a young, energetic, highly organized, aggressive attorney who really gets it. I am broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners just like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not yet contributors, we ask that you call after the show and dial 954-495-9867 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. On the West Coast, you can dial 520-405-1688. Living Lives, with over 10.5 million visits, is the number one place on the Internet to get information forms, facts, and opinions from a variety of sources on foreclosure defense, consumer loans, and even student loans. Our mission is to share as much information as we can to help beleaguered homeowners and other people who may not be aware of the effect the housing crisis has had on them or people they know. And we are accomplishing our mission here as more and more judges are seeing that the facts are not as they appear in the papers that are used by banks, trustees, and servicers to foreclose or collect money. Some interesting news from the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Board, the director, Michael Cordray, just overturned the decision of an administrative judge who had ordered a lender to pay a fine of $6.4 million for taking illegal kickbacks from insurance companies. Cordray, like most of us now, knows full well that kickbacks on insurance are just the tip of the iceberg. As director of the Consumer Financial Protection Board, established by Elizabeth Warren in Congress, he reversed the trial judge in part, and then proceeded to enter his ruling that the lender must disgorge $109 million, not $6.4 million, for all those kickbacks in that particular case. Cordray 
is a former attorney general in Ohio and has been an important voice for law enforcement against the banks and bankers who committed illegal or criminal acts. You'll see the article on Monday. Since 2007, before the crap hit the fan, just one moment here, I'm looking for a number. Okay. Ah, she's on with a different number. So I need to find her number now. Uh, 235, 235. And I'll find it as I go along. All right. So since 2007, before the crap at the fan, I've been talking and writing about fraudulent mortgages, those fraudulent notes, those fraudulent foreclosures are all void if the borrower takes some simple steps. I have been talking to lawyers around the country who have had success in the courtroom in dealing with these fraudulent foreclosures. And with the recent RICO decision in New York, we might see some results on that. The recent decision in which the appellate court turned the prevailing question on its head and asked, what difference does it make if the borrower stopped paying if the foreclosing party had no right to collect or foreclose? But even getting to that point is some something we cannot do without becoming well-versed in securitization and able to present it convincingly who are hostile um, to any defense, they're still asking the question, what difference does it make who the money is owed to as long as the borrower prepared in default? Most lawyers recognize immediately that this was the wrong question, but it has governed the decisions in millions of foreclosures. It was a million times wrong. The lawyers with whom I have been speaking all agree that what I had reported on my blog is correct about TILA rescission, the statutory scheme for rescission that differs from common law rescission. That is a refreshing change from the scorn that I endured when I stuck my to my guns on TILA rescission in 2007. I said it was the answer to the fraudulent acts of the banks and services, and I still say it is. Tonight, I am delighted to have a young lawyer, if I can find her on my monitor among the thousand calls that I've got here, um, who has the energy, the ambition, and the drive to make things right for the distressed homeowner. And her team does provide emergency services to homeowners who all too often wait until the last minute before going to a lawyer. Her name is Patricia Rodriguez, and her telephone number in L.A. is 626-888-5206. And I am searching for Patricia right now to get her on here, and she is on the line. She tells me in a text, but I don't see her on the board here. Um so, um, we will wait for Patricia to call in either from the original number that she gave me or 
for her to redial because she is not showing up. And we have some technical difficulties. Patricia has an interesting personal story, and I will Mm -hmm. to uh, tell you about that. Now she has texted me. See, this is what happens when you do it on the go. Um, Mm -hmm. We're looking for the 888 number that I just gave you. And still not finding it. 6260282. All right, so we'll try 282. 282. I'm sorry, folks. I seem to have not gotten this planned out as well as I thought I had it. Ah, there she is. Patricia. Hi, wonderful. Uh-huh. I'm so sorry about that. This right. is me. Next can you time. hear me? Next time. Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear Wonderful. me? Wonderful. Yes. Okay. Uh, next time you call in a few minutes early so we don't have that problem. I Definitely. Had to fish, had to fish your number. Um, Patricia Rodriguez, and a young attorney uh, from a place just outside of L.A., our number is 626-888-5206. Patricia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's glad to be here. You have an interesting story, as I already told the audience. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what drew you into foreclosure defense? Oh, certainly. Absolutely. Um, well, I started in criminal defense, and I've known I wanted to be a lawyer since I was a little one. Um, I you know, grew up homeless myself, so the homeowner's struggle is very personal to me. Um, I was homeless until I was about seven, and my mom was you know, addicted to crack until I was about 13, um, and Thank God she's been clean for 14 years now. Um, but it started, you know, rough, and I managed to make my way to USC and then on to law school. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer because I knew um, from what people told me that you could change things and you could help the people. So it definitely brought me to the legal profession so I could help people. And what is the concentration of practice in your firm now? Sure. So after spending a lot of time in the industry, you know, in criminal defense and and definitely loving it and enjoying it, um, I found myself with the opportunity to do some foreclosure defense. I've had my own practice since I got out of law school. And, you know, I took it to my little brother and was like, you know, what do you think you'd rather do, foreclosure defense or bankruptcy or, you know, these other aspects of criminal defense? And it was like, well, I really want to help people stay in their homes because if they do, they're much less less likely to find themselves in bankruptcy and in in criminal trouble and in these other problems. Um, So that's what really drew me to foreclosure defense, was just the ability to help a lot of people, and I think in that respect help society, which helps me and my personal group of people. Um, And as I got closer into foreclosure defense, I saw, you know, just a lot of injustice happening with what the banks were doing to the borrowers, and it's, it's kept me here now for all the time that I've been practicing. See, folks, she was worth waiting for. She's a breath of fresh air in what has been a very cynical environment for 
the mortgage industry, foreclosures, modifications, short sales, and all that by uh, dealing with people who really have no right to collect, much less enforce the instruments. And Patricia has found her way to to those conclusions and has done uh, some interesting things. Patricia, how has, uh, from your perception as a uh, young lawyer, how has the fight changed over the years? Well, so when I started practicing about five years ago, I got into foreclosure defense pretty quickly, and I've been in it since then. So I've definitely seen, you know, a shift in in the way things were handled in 2011 and 2010 to way, where we are in 2015. Um, first and foremost, you know, when I started doing it in 2010, there was very few attorneys who knew what they were doing or knew anything about it. I would say that there's a lot more education and there's a lot more um, you know, spotlight on the issues than there was before or previously. And with that comes a lot of knowledge with the courts. And although the courts could be even more favorable and to some degree are still pro-bank, it's certainly shifted from the significant, you know, pro-pro-pro-bank they were five years ago to where we are today. Um, in particular, you know, over that time period, you had the Homeowners Bill of Rights enacted by the legislature in 2013. And I think that really shed some light on some of the egregious things that they were doing in terms of the way they were handling loan modifications. But it it also emphasized and it re, you know, brought to the surface the fact that you had all of these loans being sold into the second market and they were done in such a fashion where you didn't have the chain of title at the end and they weren't handled properly per the pooling and servicing agreement. And, I mean, you just didn't have a single opinion out there that said that mattered. And then came Glaske. And Glaske was that tipping point where now there's a dialogue. Now there's an argument between, you know, the, the you know not just not just us, but the Court of Appeals, so much so that the California Supreme Court has had to step in. And they've had to say, look, we're going to take some of these cases and we're going to make a final decision on this. Do the borrowers have standing to challenge the banks if they have standing? And so – I think you've just seen a lot of growth in the industry as a whole, and you've seen a lot of growth in protecting people from foreclosures and not just letting the banks railroad everyone. I find it difficult to uh, understand how that standing argument ever got traction because when they go into court, they're saying that they're there on behalf of a trust, and the only way they could be there on behalf of the trust is the pooling and servicing agreement, and for them to then turn around and say, your inquiry into the pooling and servicing agreement is not relevant, just doesn't make sense, because if their authority stems from that document, you should be able to inquire about it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's an incredibly illogical argument. Um, I think in different places in the country, it gets more or less traction. I know out here in California, we are always dealing with the uphill battle of, you know, the pension funds of the state judges are in the bank's accounts. You know, so it's a lot of political and it's certainly not logical, rational arguments. You had some success uh, entering the picture with some clients as as late as proceedings for eviction or unlawful detainer. And you prevailed in some of those cases, turning the case around, voiding the foreclosure sale, and returning title back to the homeowner. 
What do you think were the keys uh, to that success where you were successful? And I'll say for you, there's no representation here that you have won every one of those cases. I'm simply referring to the ones that you did win. Sure. Um, I think, you know, the critical part of it is getting us involved as soon as possible. I mean, it's obviously even better if we were involved prior to the sale because likely the sale wouldn't happen under our watch. But if it has and you're waiting for the next step, just get a lawyer because you're going to need that. If you've already had the eviction filed against you, don't wait till there's a judgment also against you. Get a lawyer right away because um, that, that really is the critical defining feature. How fast am I involved in the situation? The faster, the better I can do. Once involved, it really comes down to the people. So it's going to come down to the particular bank that you have, and it's going to come down to who is opposing counsel, who's the lawyer on the other side, and are they advising their client, you know, in a proper way so as to tell them that they don't, um, you know, and they shouldn't continue on with this, or are they telling them to go full speed ahead and that they should be trying at every avenue to um, get the eviction and possession of the property. So those are two things that are really important, but ultimately, you know, every case is individual and unique and I just dive into the facts and I work with who the opposing counsel is. One nice thing about doing it for so many years is you do recognize that the other side, the banks hire the same firms over and over again. They have the same people working on the cases over and over again. So to some degree, you're able to build a rapport, even if it's a rapport of you know that they're hard to work with and you know they're not going to give you a whole lot or they're going to try to be very aggressive towards getting your client's asset but you still know, and so you know up front, okay, I don't have a good chance of getting this reversed, or yes, I do have a good chance of getting this reversed. We've had some discussion about the rescission strategy that I've been uh, uh, writing about on my blog. Uh, what's your take on rescission as a strategy and remedy for homeowners? I think with this new Supreme Court ruling, it's a very viable option. I think that you have to be, you know, in a particular place at that point in which it is your option. For instance, you know, you've tried the loan modification review and they tell you the investor guidelines don't allow it. Or, you know, there's some other reason that simply doesn't work for you or none of the other things that you've tried work for you. And so uh, rescission is a valid option in that you can shift the burden of proof. You know, in the state of California, one of the hardest aspects is that they're in a non-judicial foreclosure to take the property back. And then you have to file suit to stop that, in which case you become the plaintiff and now you have the burden of proof. So that that's the challenge where, you know, if we could make this a judicial state, you know, you're you're highly, you know, heavily more protected. And so, um, you know, in the instance with the TILA rescission, even if it is the case that you should have sent that rescission within three years, you send it now and you send it to all the right people. You allow them to either acknowledge it or not acknowledge it. If they don't acknowledge it, they can never, ever, ever acknowledge it. You know, and I have cases on appeal currently in the Court of Appeals that are, uh, you know, being offered substantial, large amounts of principal reduction, and they may not even, you know, take a loan on the on the property at all because their case falls squarely with under the most recent Supreme Court case, in which says that if they don't acknowledge it within 20 days after it being you know, after commencing, that 
and after it being sent that they can no longer acknowledge it and the loan is is at that point is extinguished and so although you know some individuals don't like the idea that a debt can be extinguished the law allows for a debt to be extinguished when certain things are complied with so once you've sent the notice and once they fail to acknowledge it if they at any point try to foreclose on you that is where you sue them for, you know, not properly, you know, handling the, the course of action because the rescission has already occurred. If they want to come back and counter sue or if they want to come back, you know, and try to enforce um, the loan, then they're going to have to do that with the burden of proof on their side. And so that's really how you're able to shift the burden of proof. I think it's an extremely viable option and is going to help a lot of um, borrowers see major principal reduction, if not complete, you know, invalidation of the loans. I uh, appreciate the uh, words of support. Uh, just for clarification, when you're saying, uh, when you're talking about acknowledgement, uh, it's 20 days uh, for them to not only acknowledge but to comply with TILA statutes requiring the return of the canceled note, satisfaction of the mortgage, and return of the money. Uh, so in the minutes that we have left here, what is uh, the biggest success that you think you've had? Well, you know, for each client, every case is, you know, looked at differently as to what success is. But I can certainly speak to some clients that, you know, were certainly satisfied with the services. We've had um, loan modifications uh, that result, you know, so at various points you're in various situations. If you've had a notice of default recorded, then you need that, uh, you know, set aside or rescinded, and you need the loan reinstated at modified terms. If you're facing a trustee sale, then you need that stopped. If you're past the trustee sale, you need that reversed. Um, so uh, assuming that we're in a situation in which, you know, there's a sale pending and you're trying to get the loan reinstated at modified terms, you know, we've had great success at that throughout the, the tenure of the firm. We've had principal reduction of anywhere from $80,000 to $300,000, depending on the particular uh, modification. And outside of, you know, being able to clients permanent modifications with principal reduction, we've been successful in helping clients who want a short sale. Um, and we've been able to help manage the property for however long until they're able to get that short sale. In other instances, um, again, we are able to get unlawful detainers dismissed. The um, eviction uh, and, and the eviction dismissed and the sale rescinded and the loan reinstated at modified terms. So um, outside of that, we've also been able to help clients who have um, had their sale postponed for so long and we've kept the foreclosure off for so long that as the time passed, the market went up and they were able to sell the property, you know, at significant profits anywhere from 200000 to Six hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. When they started the process with us, they were, you know, uh, you know, negative equity and they were underwater. And by the time the process ended with us, they were able to sell with lots of equity. Um, so basically, you know, we tried to restore some of the equity in the property through these va various measures. Um, in addition to that. Um, for all of those, you know, ultimately that just simply cannot afford the property um, and they're not able to go through the TILA rescission process previously, you know, those clients we were able to um, 
allow them to remain in the property while they litigate the case and whatever they're paying in the attorney's fees, the difference between that and what they would pay to live somewhere comparable, you know, if the difference is $1,000, well, then 10 months later, they're $10,000 better off on, you know, cash on hand. Um, So at bare minimum for our clients, we're able to put them in a better cash position when they leave, um, but at maximum, we're able to get the loan reinstated at modified terms. What do you think is the number one mistake that that's made by homeowners? By far, them waiting till the last minute, burying their head in the sand and just not doing anything about it because you're basically just yeah, giving I up agree. the asset. Yeah, I agree. I guess uh, calls, uh, you know, 50 to 100 a day asking for help, and uh, a substantial percentage of them are people who have been hiding the problem from the rest of the family and now suddenly realize that they, they need a lawyer and things have progressed so far that uh, only a bankruptcy or whatever will give them some temporary relief or the, the uh, venue in which they can launch a real challenge against the uh, a bank or servicer or trust that's supposedly uh, trying to collect or enforce against them. I, I would just the, say, so, oh, the one last thing is just so that we, I don't forget to mention the most critical aspect is that at least in the non-judicial foreclosure states that if you're going to get a lawyer, if you're going to fight about who owns the property, do it before a sale. Like that is the number one thing that I can say is that I can truly help you if you are pre-foreclosure and there has been no sale. Once a sale occurs, I can try, but the probability has decreased significantly. And I would add to that that the rescission, which is effective upon mailing, uh, obviously you've all heard this from me, uh, that means that as of the date of mailing, there is no more note, there is no more mortgage, they're void, there's no more loan contract. But piggybacking on what Patricia just said, if there's been a sale, then the existence of the mortgage and the existence of the note is, and the existence of the loan contract is no longer at issue because under the terms of the sale, the note and mortgage are merged into the the auction sale by state law in most states. And California, I think, is no exception. So if you attempt to rescind a loan contract that does not exist, that is one instance in which when you go to enforce the rescission in federal court or state court or wherever you go to do it, there's jurisdiction in both. I prefer federal. When you go to enforce the rescission and you've rescinded a loan that doesn't exist, your action is probably going to be dismissed and it's going to be determined that your notice of rescission was probably void. So getting to a lawyer before uh, the case goes to judgment um, in, a, in a judicial state and getting to a lawyer before the uh, property goes to sale in either a non-judicial or a judicial uh, state is absolutely critical. And sure, Patricia and I understand that there's 
all kinds of negative feelings about acknowledging the fact that you're in trouble and you're trying to protect your family from the stress of what you're seeing come in the mail, etc. But if you don't move quickly on it and decisively, then the worst case scenario is probably what's going to happen because the banks and the services and the trusts, they don't really care about you. They just care about themselves. And as long as they're able to get away with this, then they're going to do it. And begging them for hardship and things like that is just a smokescreen for them. They have no real intention of helping you Uh, they'll do some modifications and some short sales just to make it look like they're trying to help homeowners. Uh, Patricia Rodriguez, I thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Let me give your number out again, which is, uh, what is the number that you want to give out? Is it 626-888-5206? Yes, that's it. 626-888-5206 for anybody in the L.A. area. And I thank you again for appearing on the show. And I'll see you all next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com. GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now... Here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield.